0: All right, so we're in a new study tonight called Traits, and as you can see the tagline, the pieces that make us whole, and so we're going to go through uh, a few weeks here of the different things that uh, God has made us with and the way uh, that, you know, the characteristics that we possess, and so if you hear here tonight and you say... You know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and my desire is that I would know Jesus more. This is a deeper step, okay? So this is past the surface. Uh, This is a a step in, okay? And so tonight and for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some character traits uh, that God intends for us to have as believers and what that looks like. And we're going to give you, of course, some scriptural examples of that. Tonight we're going to talk about at least four examples in Scripture. And uh, so I think it's going to be a really good study. It will challenge us to examine uh, our own behavior patterns. It'll challenge us to uh, examine our own lifestyles and the things that we say and do and believe and act. And so I think it'll be helpful for you. Uh, Also, as a word of reminder, on the very back, the last sheet on the bottom of your handout, uh, the Scripture references that we do use tonight will be listed there, and they should be in order. So if you want to go back and look at those, you'll be able to do that. All right, so here's the question we're going to start with as we jump into the traits series, okay? It's a good question. It's, good. it's going to be fun. What are you willing to do for $10 million? What are you willing to do? What would you do for $10 million? All right, Ricky's not in here, but Gator's off the list because he'll do that for free. Uh, So here's the question that was posed. What would you do for $10 million? Well, Americans decided to answer that question. And two-thirds of Americans polled, they would agree to at least one, if not several, of the following things, okay? What would you do for $10 million? Well, 25% of those polled said that they would abandon their entire family. Now, you may have a bad family, but I mean, abandon your entire family for $10 million. 25% said that they would abandon their church. Not as shocking, huh? No no comments for that. Uh, 23% said that they would become a prostitute for a week or more for $10 million. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% Sixteen percent said for $10 million, they would leave their spouse. For $10 million. Ten percent said that they would withhold testimony to let a murderer go free. It's discouraging, isn't it? Seven <laughs> percent said for $10 million, they would kill a stranger and 3% said they would put their children up for adoption for 10 million dollars now imagine i mean look at the things on this list felonies i mean immorality i mean look all the things that we list here and for 10 million dollars a quarter of the people will do it so imagine if it's not murder or adultery or whatever, you know, uh, abandoning your kids, you know, you're probably, hopefully, not participating in those things. But every single day, we're participating in something, right? And, and every one of us has a motivator. There's a motivation in our life that we say, what is causing me to do what I am doing? It's called your why, right? Why are you doing what you are doing. You can answer that question for tonight. Why are you here? Or you have a motivator. What causes you to do what you do? Well, for every one of us, we are born with certain character traits that we inherited from our family. Now, if you'll remember, we went through some of these things and how to deal with this in the Voices series. So, if you have some character traits that you inherited, so to speak, from your family, and you're having a hard time dealing with that. You should go listen to the Voices series if you missed that. So we we dealt with that a little bit. You see, some of these traits can be very good. Uh, like for instance, maybe every morning that you wake up, you always make your bed in the morning. That's a simple one. Uh, and sometimes they can be bad. So maybe you wake every morning, uh, wake up every morning, and you do not make your bed. Anybody confess to that? Right. So we've got, these are simple character traits, right? That we, things that we can do and things that we can't do. But a lot of this comes from your upbringing, things that you may have inherited. So regardless of what you inherited, and here's the good news, regardless of whatever that may be, good, bad, or indifferent, we bear the likeness of our Heavenly Father. And if you're born again, you have access to His characteristics. Amen? Amen. And so as believers, you have the ability, you have the opportunity, you have access to uh, the attributes of God. And so we're able to act in in limitation, of course, uh, according to the characteristics that God has. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, this is Jesus talking, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And so according to Jesus, for us to walk according to the way that God desires for us to walk, that is that we would walk in relation to what God does in and through us, right? And so these are the characteristics that God intends for us to possess. Now, we, we talk in a macro level of all the things that God intends for us, that we would love our neighbor. We've been talking about that on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've been talking and we've been drilling down. Hopefully your community group's been doing the same thing. We've been really putting some feet to action uh, and drilling down and saying, what does that look like? How can I tangibly be for uh, the world, right? And so we, as we talk about that and these uh, different things that we, we see globally, if you will, in uh, the church world, we want to say, okay, well, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, what does that look like from a personal characteristic perspective? I mean, we can apply this to anything, and so as we look at these character traits, we want to say, what are they, number one? And we're going to uh, reveal or discuss those things as we go through the next several weeks. And then number two, what does that look like in my own life? And so at the end of the, week, end of the lesson tonight, we're going to look at it and say, okay, well, what does that look like for me? How can I apply these things? Because we, Jesus says, anything that you do, you have to do through me or you're going to do in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so not only are we image bearers, uh, but we possess the ability to manifest traits that are inherent to Jesus. So that we can love like Jesus. That we can act in a way that would honor Jesus. That, that Jesus would have us to act. You know, the big movement in the 90s. What would Jesus do? And so that we would respond in a way. And so we're not just going to say, here's the action. We're going to talk about the specific characteristics that drive that. And so in order for us to bear fruit in accordance to God's will, we have to act in a way that God would have us to act, or in other words, that God would um, motivate or create within us the way to do that. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, this is what the Bible says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is, of course, Jesus, and He is the exact imprint of His Nature. So Jesus, according to the writer of Hebrews, is the radiance of the glory of God and he's the exact imprint of his nature. So, in other words, Jesus, according to the writer of Hebrews, is the exact imprint of of the nature of God. And so if we want to know what God's like, if we want to know, as Pastor Tony references often, the character and nature of God, we have the incarnation Jesus, right? And so we can see and understand the character and nature of God because of His Son, Jesus. And so again, according to Hebrews, Jesus is the exact imprint. Now here's where we start getting a little deeper the exact imprint, the word in the English language for exact imprint that is used here in Greek, in Hebrews, is the word for character. It's the word for character, the exact imprint. So in other words, Jesus has, and this is something you should already know, Jesus has the same character as God, right? It's called the hypostatic union. And so Jesus has the same character as God. And so as believers then, the Bible says that Jesus is, He has the exact imprint of the nature of God. As believers, God has called us to what? To be uh, born again, John chapter 3, and then in uh, 2 Corinthians, that old things would pass away, 516, right? And all things would become new. And so the Spirit of God, according to Ezekiel, would create inside of us a new heart. And so our heart would be transformed Romans 12 into the likeness of God's son, Romans 8:29. And so that's what the gospel is. Is that God would take us in our sinfulness and that he would take that sinfulness from us and he would take the penalty for that sin and that he would place inside of us the ability to be godly to have godliness, to have the character and nature of God. Okay? And so as we start taking steps into this, well what does that look like? Well, for us Unlike Jesus, of course, our environment plays a great role in what happens and how our character is developed and what shapes our character. Maybe you are raised by outlaws, and so you learn how to be an outlaw because that's who raised you, right? That's going to shape your character. Maybe you had a very conservative, uh, you know, legalistic upbringing, and so that is going to shape your character. And so, this word character, of course, you know, as in Greek here in the New Testament, it comes from uh, the word, the exact imprint, and it refers to the mark or the imprint on a coin or a seal. And so, it's, it's a mark, okay? Just like in the Old Testament, the Israelites uh, were marked by their separation, so are believers we're marked, we're distinct in our character or in our differentiated uh, differentiation between us and non-believers. So we're marked. All right, now we all, you know, we all have different marks, right? You may have a birthmark. Maybe you were born with some type of skin birthmark. Uh, maybe you have a scar. You, you know, when I was little, uh, probably, I don't know, eight, nine years old, uh, my mom left the house, and so we were at home painting a trailer. My dad and I were, and we're out, and uh, we had a couple of three wheelers. And so my mom left, and she said, "Don't ride the three wheelers." So as soon as she left, we rode the three wheelers. Right? That's what boys do. They shouldn't, but they do. So we get on the three wheeler, me and my dad, and we're riding down the road, and uh, we're you know rolling along. We go down the hill and around the curve, and so we're riding. And uh, we get down the end, we turn around, and we're coming back up. And so uh, I'm on the left side of the road, he's on the right side of the road, and we're riding our three-wheeler. And we're going, and you know, I'm, I'm eight or nine years old, and so I'm testing out the Yamaha 125, you know, I'm trying to give it a little gas, see what's happening here. So I throttle up a little bit. So he yells over, slow down. Well, I heard, speed up. Logical, right? And so I smashed the gas a little bit harder. Well, when I did, the reason I was to slow down is because there was a barbed wire fence running the length of the left side of the road that I didn't see because I'm riding a Yamaha 125 by myself at eight years old. Nothing else matters, right? And so I gas it. Well, when I do, I go straight into that fence and cut my arm wide open. I had several gashes on my left arm. And so, you know, he, he gets me, you know, grabs me, puts me on three-wheel. We go back home, get in the car. And this was four cell phones and everything. And so we're driving down uh, Fifth Avenue in Laurel. And so we passed my mom, which was not good. And uh, so he pulls over and she comes over and, you know, I've got blood everywhere. My arm's cut open. So she panics. And so anyway, we go to the emergency room, this big ordeal. So I got stitches and so I've had this giant scar on my left arm, and, you know, over the time it's kind of morphed into my arm, but you can see this big, you know, three-inch scar or whatever on my arm. And so I've got this cool story. You know, when I go to Kingdom Kids, I, I can tell this story about the time I got attacked by a dinosaur, and, you know, the kids love it. So we got these marks, right? Every one of us have it. You, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good mark. You know, maybe uh, you commemorated someone with, you know, some type of mark or tattoo or something, Maybe it's a bad mark. Maybe you don't remember getting your tattoo and you still have it. And so there's all these marks, right, in life that people carry. So the question is, have you been marked by Jesus, right? Is your character and your nature reflective of the character and nature of God? And so what we're going to do is we're going to dig in a little bit tonight and see what that looks like. You see, a lot of people, when you think about character, well, they think about reputation. And they think that character and reputation are the same thing. Well, they're not. Character and reputation are not the same thing. Okay? And so, as we think about this, I want to give you some differences between what character and reputation, because we want to be very, very specific on this tonight. So you say, well, character is my reputation, right? It's what people, what, you know, what people know or whatever. Well, let's look at the differences. Number one, reputation. Well, reputation is what other people think you are, right? It's the, it's the attitude that you carry. It's the things that you do, but it's their perception of you. You know, uh, at men's night, if you were there, uh, Pastor Tony talked about uh, men, and sometimes men like to hide. And especially in church. And so what men will often do is they'll come to church and go home and come to church and go home. And on the outside, it appears that everything is going really good. And so Pastor Tony made the comment, I don't really know you, sir, unless I know your wife. Because I know a lot about you based on how your wife responds to you and your interaction with your wife and so on and so forth. Right? We talk about that in our small group. I know you if I've been to your house. I know you if you've been to my house. All right. And so reputation is what other people think. So, you know, if you know that Pastor Tony's coming to your house, you're probably going to clean up. And then he'll get there and say, man, this house is spotless. And you say, oh, well, thanks. But in reality, 364 days of the year, it's not that way. You know, and so it's what people think. That's the reputation. Well, the difference is character is what God knows that you are. You see everybody can perceive something about you to be true and you can even speak those things and say this is who I am. But God knows who you really are. It's not what you say you are, it's actually who you are. Okay? So character and reputation they are not the same. You see your reputation is what people perceive on the outside. And so I can again I can say I am a certain way or a certain thing. Um, I can even try to get you, if you need another sheet, Phillips has got some extras there if you need one there. Uh, and so I can tell you on the outside, you know, I can keep you at a distance and I can make you believe anything I want you to believe based on reputation, right? But character, all right, character is different than that. Character is not only what God knows that you are, character is what you know to be true on the inside, Character is what you know to be true on the inside. So, in other words, when you go to sleep at night and you lay your head on the pillow, you say, I hope they don't find out. That could be character, right? That's the difference in reputation and character. D.L. Moody put it this way. He said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. You see, you can't give a perception of something that's not reality. Reality should drive that. And so the reality is as believers, we sh- uh, the character trait that should drive all of us is having good character. You see, it's possible to have a good reputation and bad character at first because it's what people think, right? It's, I can again tell you whatever I want you to know about myself, but character will always catch up to reputation. It'll always catch up. So, if I've got bad character and I present myself a certain way, at some point that character will shine through. And so, character is the impression that your life will leave on other people because eventually character will catch up. It's the same thing as long obedience in the same direction. That if I tell you I love Jesus, that I'm not only going to say it, I'm going to live it, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not only going to say it and live it in short periods of time, I'm going to say it and I'm going to live it in long periods of time, okay? And so, it's possible to do that. So, we see character is the impression. And so, as we start our series on traits, tonight we're going to start with the letter I. And so, tonight we will start with I is for integrity. So, you thought we were going to talk about character, didn't you? I is for integrity. So we're going to define integrity tonight. We're going to look at examples of integrity tonight. And then we're going to end with how we can make sure that we are exhibiting integrity in our own lives. You see, just like character and just like reputation, some people say that integrity and honesty are the same thing. So if you say, well, he has high integrity. Well, you say, well, that just means that he's honest. Well, not necessarily. They're not the same things. So, we're going to look at the difference here. So, character and reputation are different. Character is what God knows. Reputation is what people perceive. Well, so is integrity and honesty different. You see, honesty is telling the truth. Honesty is conforming our words to reality. So if I tell you that, you know, this carpet is brown or, or green, whatever color this is, if I say this, this carpet is brown, well, what I'm doing is I'm conforming my words to the reality that the carpet is brown. Now, if I say the carpet is orange or, you know, black, well, clearly that's not true. And so I'm not conforming my words to that. So that's what honesty is. Honesty is not something that you do. It's Honesty is you confirming reality. And so you're just saying, hey, this is what is in fact to be true. And so you're conforming to that. The difference is integrity is conforming reality to our words. Or in other words, we're keeping promises. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm causing reality to match my words. That's what integrity is. If I I tell you that I'll be somewhere, I'm keeping a promise or I'm fulfilling an expectation. So, in other words, it's not saying one thing and doing another. It is doing what you say. That's part of integrity. And so, the first piece, uh, as we lay the foundation for character here, is integrity. The foundation of character starts with integrity. Now, there's a lot of definitions for integrity, and we're going to have a working definition tonight, Uh, but for the the most part, you'll hear, well, integrity is doing what is right when no one else is looking, okay? And so, if no one else knows about it, no one else is watching me, then if I do the right thing, well, then that's integrity. And there's a story told of a a professional golfer years ago, and he uh, got to the final hole, and he got up. Uh, to putt. He was in a few feet of the hole to putt. And as he went to uh, putt, he accidentally uh, touched the ball. No one else saw him touch the ball. It's an infraction. If you don't know about golf, it's a penalty stroke if you touch the ball. And uh, he touched the ball and it moved. No one else saw it. So he went to the rules official, said, hey, uh, I need to be assessed an additional stroke on this hole. Why? I touched the ball. And they said, well, we didn't see you touch the ball. And he said, it doesn't matter if you saw me or not. I'm telling you, I touched the ball. He ended up bogeying the hole and losing the tournament because he was the only one who saw it, yet he told the official what happened. You see, that's integrity. It's doing what's right when no one else is looking. And so our working definition for our study tonight is going to be this. Integrity is always doing the right thing at the right time in the right place regardless of the cost or consequences. You see, here's where the world gets in trouble with integrity today, is everything is subjective. Everything is subjective. And so we say, well, it's what may be right for you could be wrong for me, and what's wrong for you may be right for me. And so the cost and the consequence determine my level of integrity. Right? If it's $10 million, then I may not have any integrity if that's something I want to do. We just talked about that, the 25%. And so there's a lot of people who say, well, it, it depends on what the cost is as to what I'll do. I don't know what the consequences are, and so I'm going to determine my action based on what the consequences are. Okay, And so as we talk about integrity, integrity says it doesn't matter what the cost is. I'm going to give you a great example of this in Scripture tonight. It doesn't matter what the consequence is, I'm gonna do it regardless. That's integrity. You see, when it's been said that it is when life, the life you are living on the outside, matches who you are on the inside. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says this It says, Whoever walks, Solomon says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. So whoever walks in integrity walks securely. You see, when you do the right thing, you don't have to worry about anybody finding out about it. You see, you don't have to worry if you'll get caught or if you'll get in trouble. If you do the right thing, you don't have to worry about that. You know, one of the things that I'm never concerned with, I'm never worried if the IRS is going to call me or not. I'm not concerned with that. I I file my taxes. I do what I'm supposed to do. And if they, I'm not concerned that, oh, I hope they don't call me. If they want to call me, they're welcome to call me, right? And so in your own life, that's what integrity is. It's saying, I'm not worried about doing, uh, I'm not worried about being caught or getting in trouble because I tried my very best to do what is right. You see, you know who isn't nervous when they pass a police officer running radar? The person who isn't speeding. Right? Think about it. Have you ever passed a police officer? Brandon, don't listen. So you pass a police officer and you're speeding. And what is the first thing you do? You look back to see if their lights come on, right? Because you know you're guilty. And you know, hey, you might get caught. That's the first thing we do. I mean, we've all done that. But what integrity says is, look, you don't have to look back over your shoulder You don't have to worry if it's the IRS or, you know, someone trying to catch up to you or knowing your deepest, darkest secrets, because guess what? There aren't any. That's what integrity is. The Bible talks about integrity in many different places. Matter of fact, it's about 25 different times that the Bible talks about integrity. And I'm going to give you three examples very briefly of where the Bible talks about it tonight, and then we're going to jump in and spend the rest of our time in one example. So the first example is, on your handout there is in Genesis and you can it's on the bottom of your handout but you can also write this down I'll let you a blank there so you'd be able to know is Abimelech and so Abraham he uh, in Genesis chapter 12 God calls him to father the nation of Israel and he begins his journey away Uh, from the land that he knew and God called him somewhere he didn't tell him where but he called him away and so Abraham began to pursue God right and he began to follow after God and in uh, Genesis chapter 19 uh, we see Sodom and Gomorrah and what God did in Sodom and Gomorrah based on their sin and then in chapter 20 they go to a new land and Abraham takes his wife Sarah but he tells them this is my sister okay And so Abimelech, who is the king, he finds out about it in a dream. And so this is what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 5. Did he not not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in that dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And so Abimelech, according to Scripture, in the Hebrew word for integrity, he exhibited integrity by doing what was right. So he was uh, presented with a situation to which he had a decision to make. And based upon his understanding of God, clearly he's talking to God, and his pursuit of the will of God, He did the right thing. And so Abimelech is an example, the earliest one that we see in Scripture about integrity. The second one on your handout is David. Now this is probably not a surprise. Uh, You know, maybe it's a great surprise if you think about David and Bathsheba. But David was a man of great integrity in spite of uh, his sin. In Psalm chapter 78 and verse 72, the Bible references David and it says, with upright heart he shepherded them and he guided them with his skillful hand and so david is coined to be a man who's marked uh, or who has the imprint of his heavenly father the first 10 chapters as a matter of fact of second samuel give many 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 characteristics of david and every one of those characteristics have their root In the word, the Hebrew word for integrity. And so David was a man of integrity. And last but not least is, of course, Job. Job is listed as a man of integrity. The Bible says in Job chapter 2, verse 3, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And so here's Job who does what's right despite the circumstances. And so what integrity does as we see these examples is it aligns us to be used by God. Okay, it puts us in position For God to use us. Now I'm not saying God can't use somebody without integrity. I'm saying God prefers to use people with integrity. Okay? And so, in order for someone to listen to my life, in order for me to have gospel influence in their life, guess what? They've got to trust me. They've got to believe that what I'm saying is true and that I'll do what I say that I will do. Because how in the world can I influence someone for the gospel to follow Jesus in faith? and they can't even believe the person that's telling them about Jesus to follow in faith, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so, in order for us, uh, in order for someone to listen to me, they've got to trust me, because that's the exact thing that they're going to have to do to follow Jesus. You see, in order to have faith in Jesus, you have to trust Him, right? Jesus said, blessed are those who believe, and what? And have not yet seen. And so, integrity is A trust issue. As we as we think about this, I want to rewind again. I'm trying to build the case here for you. So as we we think about integrity, and we say, all right, integrity is is what I is what God is calling me to have. It's a character trait that God intends for me to possess. Well, I think it's interesting. We think about the Hebrew word, and we'll get to it again. It's on your blank a couple blanks down. Uh, The Hebrew word for integrity is Tom. T-O-M. Now, we call it Tom. It's pronounced, I believe, tomb in Hebrew. And so, as we we look at this, this is the Hebrew word. So, if you like to swim in the deep end and you want to go look that up, it's a fascinating study. And so, in Hebrew, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 29, I want to put, put some of this in context for you. I told you we're in the deep end tonight, so stay with me. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel. So here's the priesthood being instituted, okay? So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place. So when Aaron, when the priests were going to go into the holy of holies or the presence of God, as we understand it, as they were to enter into the presence of God, they were to bring them to regular remembrance before God. So as they go before God, guess what is on their breastplate? It says in verse 30, in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Tumim, which is the plural form of integrity. The plural form of integrity. It said, they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. What in the world does that mean for us? It means that when God instituted the priesthood of entering into the presence of God, there had to be integrity of heart. There had to be integrity of heart. And so, so oftentimes, now I'm not going to supersede theology on you here, but so oftentimes in our own lives, I believe that we race into the presence of God and we have these expectations of God when we don't bring integrity to the table, right? That we have to have integrity in our own lives, that we've got to say, God, I'm I'm putting forth my best foot. Because I'm expecting and I know that you present your best foot at all times. And so as Aaron, and now what does Hebrews say? That we're the priesthood, that we're a royal priesthood. Second Peter says that as well. And so as we enter into the presence of God, that we should take integrity with us. So in order for Aaron to discern the will of God, he had to choose integrity. He had to take integrity into the place. And so the Hebrew word is time. It means, this word tomb means whole and complete. So in other words, integrity can't be divided. It can't be divided. And see, here's where, you know, I, t- I told you spiritually this is a chance for us to all take a step in. So here's where we, we get divided on this, is the Bible says that we wrestle against flesh and blood, right? That flesh is always at war, Romans chapter 7, with the Spirit, okay? And so inside of each one of us, God, if you're saved, has placed the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God is at work transforming you. And the flesh, the sinful nature, is at work trying to destroy you, John chapter 10, verse 10. And so what's happening in our lives is there's this constant battle or this division in our own lives of whether we will be, uh, have it, will act with integrity or will act in the flesh, Okay? And so there's this constant war or division even within our own hearts. Now, I don't have to tell you that we live in a divided society, and you can pick anything, and there's quite a divisiveness about it. We live, I would say, in one of the most polarizing times in history. And so in this division as believers, here's what we've got to do. We've got to step in and say, I choose integrity, period. Not I choose integrity if, or I choose integrity when. It is I choose integrity, period. You see, in our own lives, and the challenge I have for you and for me tonight, is that we would measure our own integrity. That we would say, am I marked, am I imprinted, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, am I imprinted with the character of God? And the nature and character of God is integrity. That Jesus is who He said He is that God did what He said He would do. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, He would send a Messiah. Jesus arrives on the scene. God did what He said He would do. And so if God did what He said He would do, God clearly has integrity. And so here's the measuring stick for us tonight. Would you? What would you do if you knew that no one would ever find out? What would you do so here's what's going to happen when you ask yourself that question. Your heart and your flesh is going to go crazy. I'm, I would do this, and, and a lot of it's going to be illegal, and, and some things, just like we, you know, we, we laughed and we moaned at this list at the beginning of all the things that people would do for $10 million. But you let your heart decide what you'll do, and you're going to end up on the wrong side. You see, if we asked the question, what would you do if you knew nobody would ever find out? Well, your flesh is going to have a heyday with that. If you knew that you would never be caught, what would you do? You see, we can make fun of that and come up with some funny things that we do. Or we could really bemoan the fact that our flesh really is wicked and our heart's deceitful. And that our heart's really going to lead us the wrong way. But it helps us to measure. You see, integrity is to be singularly focused on the character and nature of Jesus. In other words, the consequences of our actions should only be measured by what God thinks about it. What would God have me do in this situation? Not what is popular, not what is acceptable, not what does everybody else want me to do. The question to measure integrity is, do I pursue what God wants before anything else? Does it matter what other people think? Sometimes, yes. Does it matter, you know, how, you know, feelings will be you know, affected in situations? Sometimes, yes. But the primary concern is not what do other people think, not do, not even what do I want to do, but it is what does God want me to do? That's what integrity is. The question is, what effect does it have on those around us? You see, the key to having influence in the kingdom of God is integrity. And so, if you say, and this comes up a lot, so if you say, you know, one day I want to be a D-group leader. I want to have spiritual influence. If you're not leading a D-group, if you've never led a D-group, I want to have spiritual influence. Well, how are you going to do that? You've got to have integrity, right? You've got to have people that trust you, that want to follow you. And so what we often hear is, I can tell you this is our fifth year. I think of D groups, and what you often hear is D groups start uh, to to wind down, and next year we 're what two and a half months away from a new launch of a new year of d groups and people say well i 'm just not sure if i 'm ready to do that i 'm just not sure if i 'm capable to have spiritual influence you 've got to have integrity, and so if you 're walking in uprightness of heart, as david said, if you 're pursuing God, guess what? You should expand your spiritual influence. By leading a D group. Now, this is not a plug for that. I'm just using this here because it's an example of what influence means. In your own life, the reason that God has given you the imprint of integrity is not so that you would be the only person to benefit from that. The reason people trust you is because God is giving you influence, and God intends for you to use that influence for the kingdom of God. That's the whole pr- premise of character traits, is so that they would be used to honor. God you see the key to spiritual effectiveness is to have integrity this series is for you to take the next step if you really want to take a step forward in your walk if you really want to move in the progression if you say the pathway or ever how you want to measure that if you want to step further in your walk with God you've got to start measuring every action and the way that you do it is starting with the foundation. Of integrity. So we're going to close our time tonight for the next few minutes talking about, I would say arguably the greatest example of integrity in the Bible and it's in Daniel and we're going to look at this tonight. So the Bible says in Daniel it says it pleased Darius, it pleased Darius uh, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the kingdom and to uh, oversee them three high officials whom Daniel was one of, to whom the satraps should give an account to so that the king may suffer no loss and so what the king is doing here is he's putting Daniel in charge of these 120 satraps and so he gives him influence over uh, he gives him influence over the kingdom and so as Daniel is leading the kingdom it says then Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was within him. And the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. This is in Daniel chapter 6. And so here's Daniel given... Now, this, you know, not to back all the way up, but Israel's taken into Babylonian captivity. Daniel is one of those guys that's taken into captivity uh, that shows promise. You can read the first six chapters of Daniel if you've never done that. And Daniel is someone who's young, someone who's smart, someone who has ability, someone who follows after God in the first couple chapters. Daniel doesn't want to take the king's meat because he wants to be true to what he believes. And so Daniel rises in the ranks, if you will, and they set him over the whole kingdom. Here's someone who was in a bad situation that kept his eyes on Jesus. You see, integrity trumps ability every single time. You may be at your job, so I want to encourage you. You may be at your job and you say, you know, I've been at my job for a long time and they're not recognizing my ability. Well, your integrity is probably going to get you promoted sooner than your ability will. And so integrity always trumps ability. So you have to do what's right in order to have the opportunity for your influence to expand. I remember I was working for a landscaping crew one time, and uh, there was these, uh, I ran a crew, and so I supervised and had some guys with us, and uh, so we would all, you know, we'd, you know, get equipment, leave for the day, and then we'd come back, and so I had three or four guys on my crew, and so we were out working one day, and he was just complaining, man, I don't get paid enough for this, and it's too hot out here, and you know, so I'm driving, and I'm listening to all this, you know, whining and complaining, and so I'm listening to all of it, and he said, I only make $9 an hour, and here I'm out here in this hot sun, and I ought to make $10 an hour. You know, he thought I had, you know, the ability to change his salary. I didn't tell him any different, but so I'm driving, I'm listening, and he's whining. So he said, uh, so we pull up to the next job, and I said, hey, you know, here's what we need to do, and he says, well, i tell you what, he said, I only get paid $9 an hour, so I'm just going to take my time, and I said, well, here's the deal you're always going to get paid $9 an hour as long as you do a $9 an hour job. If you want to get paid $10 an hour, then do a $10 an hour job, right? And so in our own lives, if you want to get promoted, if you want to have opportunity to have more influence, then start with integrity. Do what's right when it doesn't matter, so to speak, so that when it does matter, you already have that habit. Integrity always trumps ability. And so what integrity did for Daniel... What integrity does for you and me is it aligns us with the will of God, it places us in opportunities to do what God intends to do in our lives. Okay, and so we see this with Daniel. So in verse four, the high officials and the satraps sought to find a group a ground rather for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they couldn't find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So here's Daniel. For many, many decades now, Daniel has done, he's been faithful to follow God even in captivity. And so there's people on the sidelines watching Daniel. And they're not watching Daniel because they like Daniel And there's people on the sidelines watching you, not because they like you. There's people on the sidelines, we just had a conversation right before church started about, you know, some people that were putting their business in somebody else's business that didn't belong. All right, there's people all around us that are doing that, okay? Same with Daniel. And so they tried to find fault with Daniel. They tried to find error with Daniel. They tried to find uh, ways to accuse Daniel, okay? And they couldn't find it. And so they said, if we're ever going to do anything against Daniel, it's going to have to have something to do with his faith. Most oftentimes, if not every time, that's the exact same thing the enemy does to you and to me. The enemy is going to try to find a way to, to snake in to try to make you question something that God is doing. But that's not what happened with Daniel. You see, when you live with integrity in your life, your life becomes surrounded with a force field of righteousness and goodness that can withstand any investigation or accusation now that'd be a great place for you to say amen because here's the deal the bible says in Isaiah 54 17 there is no weapon that is formed against me that shall prosper right and so if I'm following God if I'm doing what God has called me to do there's no accusation there's no investigation that's going to bring me down Okay, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, that's not the way this is going to end for me. It's the same for you. God is in control of absolutely every circumstance in your life. And in spite of the fact that the devil, the Bible says, is roaring, uh, rolling around uh, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, he also has people that he's trying to trip us up. But rest assured, believer, tonight that there is no weapon that is formed against you that will prosper. And so what God did for Daniel, God does the same for believers and that he knows what he plans on accomplishing. And there's no pandemic and there's no situation and there's no scenario and there's no uh, official that will stop that. Okay? You should be encouraged by that. And so in verse 6, it says, These high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and they said, O King Darius, live forever. So they buttered him up. And they said, The high officials... Uh, All the officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, we all agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes any petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked therefore King Darius signed the document and the injunction which is a bad day right and now it's not the first time we've read this it's not the first time in the Old Testament we've read this how about Esther right all the Jews are about to be annihilated in Esther and you know they're going out saying on this day everybody's going to die and that's when you all got jelly-filled donuts to celebrate Purim right remember that Maybe you weren't here for that. It was awesome. Jelly-filled donuts. And so we celebrated the fact that the Jews were rescued in that. It's the same thing here. So it's not the Jews. It's one person. It's Daniel. And so it would be easy for Daniel to play the woe is me card, right? It would be easy for Daniel to say, well, why me, God? It'd be easy for Daniel to say, well, look at my circumstances. And, and they're saying, I have to do this. You can fill in the blank there. And so here's what is going on. And God, I've, and, you know, why is this the situation? Right? What is the situation here? I'll tell you what I'll do. I know what I'll do. It says 30 days. I mean, I mean, it's just 30 days, God. I've been following you for decades. It's just 30 days. All right? This is where Daniel's at. You got to do it, and so Daniel knew verse ten that the document had been signed, and he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber towards Jerusalem, and he closed the blinds, and he blacked out the doors, and he hid while he prayed. No, that's not what it says. It says, he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks to God before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. Daniel said, for years I've been following after God and you're going to issue this edict that I can't pray, right? Same thing with, you know, the schools. Hey, you can't pray in the schools. Well, of course you can't. Well, hey, you can't list the Ten Commandments. Yes, you can, right? What we've done as believers is we've, we've taken a back seat and says, well, if that's what you say, it could be temporary. But here's Daniel. He, he says the document has been signed, but he went into his house as he had previously done. And we're talking about spiritual things here. Don't read into anything I'm saying. He, he, he did spiritual things to God, right? He knelt before God. And he prayed three times a day. Okay, three times a day. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They came near and said to the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes the petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So it sounds like Daniel's in a spot. You know the story. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this story before. So here's Daniel in this situation. But what Daniel is doing, he's exercising integrity to be who he ought to be. And this is my point I was making earlier, spiritually. What Daniel is doing here is Daniel is responding to an edict, to an injunction or whatever you want to call it, that that directly opposes the Word of God. Directly opposes the Word of God. And so, what Daniel is doing is he is acting in what he ought to be, okay? He is is being guided by principles. You see, here's what we don't have in our world today is principles, Why do you do the things that you do? We started with this, right? Why do you do the things that you do? What are your principles? You have to know what your absolutes are or you'll do anything. You have to know what your absolutes are. You see, there's got to be moral absolutes in your life. There's a movement today that says that moral absolutes are subjective. So for fun, I Googled some of this and you shouldn't do that. But I did. And uh, I, look, I read some, some posts, you know, some boards that people were posting on about moral relativism and moral absolutes, and just to see what are people saying about moral absolutes, and what does the world believe about this? Well, let me just tell you they don't believe it, okay? The vast majority of the comments were, there is no such thing as moral absolutes. There is no right or wrong. It's all circumstantial. These are exact quotes on the, on, on the internet. Moral uh, absolutes don't exist. Everything is, the word they like to use is subjective. So do you think that God's word was subjective to Daniel? Because Daniel knew the cost, and yet he did it anyway. It says, as he had previously done. He had a habit of doing it, and he knew what the command was. You see, these moral absolutes in your life, what are they? What is it that you believe no matter what happens. You should start with what your absolutes are about your theology, right? What do you believe no matter what happens? So in verse 13, Daniel, it says they answered and said to the king, uh, Daniel is one of those exiles from Judah who pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. So the king is upset, because rightly so, Daniel's his guy. And Daniel's always acted in integrity and done what was right for the benefit of the kingdom. It says, Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Now, these are some evil guys. I mean, this is just bad. The king commanded, verse 16, Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you have served continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, imagine with me, if you will, what that looked like for Daniel. Daniel's at home. Daniel's praying with the expectation that they would ignore him or that they would come get him. I think we all know the answer, right? So imagine here's Daniel. He's praying. He hears a knock on the door, right? Daniel goes and answers the door. Hey, Daniel, what are you doing? I'm praying. Well, you're not supposed to do that, OK? And Daniel sa- they says, well, you know, you're going to be throwing the lines down because there's an injunction that for 30 days you can't pray unless it's to uh, King Darius, and so that's the penalty, OK? Well, you can't pray, okay? right? Daniel stays steadfast. And so they come and, you know, again, I'm imagining all this. And so they say, all right, Daniel, you know, we told you not to do it and you did it. And so we're going to have to toss you in the lion's den. And so they're taking Daniel to the lion's den. So how do you think Daniel feels about that? So here's Daniel being carted off to the lion's den because he stayed faithful to God. So, you know, what the world would say is, look, here's this person who followed God. Here's this person who had integrity of heart. And look at the result. Look look what's going to happen in their life right? That's what the world's going to say. That's the naysayers that are on the sidelines are saying that. So here's Daniel, and the Bible says it in verse 17, they brought and they laid on the mouth of the den a stone, and they sealed it. And so now Daniel is in the lion's den. Now here's the question that I want to ask you. What if that's the end of the story? Did Daniel do the right thing? Right? If we read the story and we get to to verse 17 and Daniel is tossed in the lion's then The end. There's no chapter 7 or anything else. We don't know anything about what happened to Daniel. How would we surmise that? What what happened? What what would your heart say? What What is your initial reaction that you say? Oh man, I don't know about that. It just depends on how it works out. Right? I think that's what a lot of people respond with. And when we, we looked at that earlier, that our working definition is the right thing at the right place, regardless of the cost or consequences. And so, we get to the end of verse 17, and we don't know how this plays out. Now, you and I know, we've read the rest of the story, and we know that Daniel is rescued because they're, uh, that it's, the lions don't even touch Daniel, right? And so, nothing happens to Daniel. Daniel lives. But what if you didn't know that? You see, we don't have the lens of the future for ourselves. And so when we act in integrity, we're acting in integrity for the same reason that Daniel prayed three times a day, because it honors God, and that's what God has called us to do. It's not that we get to the end of the lion's den, and we walk out and say, I told you guys he was going to save me. It's just like uh, 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 Azariah and Mishael, when they stood before uh, the, the fiery furnace, when they came out, what did they say? Before they went in, they said, hey, look, if we don't come out, God's still God. It's the same thing with Daniel. Daniel goes into the lion's den saying what? God is still God. I do not regret following God. I don't regret spending three times a day with God. I don't regret honoring it and obedience, the words of God. Daniel didn't walk into that lion's den saying, man, I shouldn't have done that. Sure, he was afraid. Who, what human wouldn't be when you're faced with the king of the jungle? But yet he trusted in God more than he trusted in his circumstances. And for me and you, I don't know what your circumstance is. But I know this, that God has called you to have integrity. And if it means you lose your job for integrity, so be it if it means that you lose friends or family members or whatever the consequence is, integrity to your faith is the most important thing in your life. And so tonight, I just want to give you just a couple of walkaways that you can say, well, okay, I want to have integrity. We talked about measuring it. How can I make sure I walk in integrity or how can I make sure I start to walk in integrity? So the first thing tonight is very, very simple. It is to define your absolutes. Define your absolutes. What, what are the absolutes in your life? All right, I, I'm not going to lie. No matter what, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal time. I'm not going to steal items. I, you know, these are simple. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. I'm, you know, whatever it may be. I'm not going to cheat. I mean, it could be positives. I'm, I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to honor my commitments. That's what integrity is. is doing what you say you'll do. You, you have to define your absolutes. You have to say, these are the things that I'm absolutely going to do. Here's the things that I'm absolutely not going to do. You've got to define those. You've got to know what those are because what's going to happen in your life is you're going to be tested. And just like with Daniel, Daniel says, I'm going to follow after God. Now, Daniel's been following God for decades and Daniel says, I'm going to follow after God, and I'm going to spend three times a day. And Daniel's reputation of what other, perce- other people perceived to be true about Daniel was that Daniel loved God, and Daniel's character matched his reputation. And Daniel spent three times a day on his knees praying before God. Because Daniel had absolutes in his life, and one of them was, I will not neglect my time in prayer with the Lord. And so in your own life, you have to define what those are. You, maybe you say, absolutely, I'm going to read my Bible every single day, regardless of what happens. And then what's going to happen is it's going to be very hard to do that. So you've got to have a set time, a set place, right? You've got to say, my family will absolutely be in church every Sunday, okay? And so guess what's going to happen? One of your kids is going to get sick. Something's going to happen. Try to derail. You've got to have absolute. you got to say, I absolutely will do these things. You've got to define that. Number two, you've got to decide to act with integrity regardless of the consequences. You've got to decide to act with integrity regardless of the consequences. So this is why this follows number two, number one. Why do you have to... De- Define your absolutes. Well, because integrity is something that you decide before the decision has to be made. Integrity is something that you decide before the decision has to be made. And so what happened with Daniel, it says, the Bible says, as he had done before. Daniel had already decided that he was going to go pray, and it didn't matter what they said. Okay? He had already decided that. He'd already decided that he was going to honor God. You see, today there's a lot of this divisiveness, as we talked about earlier. And, you know, one people say, well, you know, this is what you got to do. And the other people say, well, this is what you got to do. The action, right, the action I don't think is is as important as the motive in our world today. The motive is what matters. All right, why are you doing what you're doing? And so as we talk about this motive, our motive is that we would act with integrity and that our actions would honor God, okay? But why are we doing what we're doing, right? Daniel was faced with this mandate and said, hey, you've got to do this, okay? And so Daniel didn't say, oh, well, I totally disagree or I totally disagree. Daniel said, what are my absolutes? How can I honor God in this situation? And he went back to his faith, and his faith Remember, integrity helps you to be in the will of God, and so his faith guided his action. It guided his decision of what he should do. He didn't allow the consequences of the action to determine it. He allowed what? His integrity, his faith to guide him in that decision. So define your absolutes. Decide to act with integrity regardless of the consequences. And number three, and this shouldn't have to be said, but I feel like it it really, really, really applies, is to abide by the golden rule. Now, we're going all the way back to kingdom kids here, right? But abide by the golden rule. What is that? That you would do to others what you expect to be done to you. Imagine, if you will, a world in which that happens. Imagine that. That people would treat each other with respect, that people would treat each other with love, that people would treat each other the way that they expect to be treated. Now, Jesus said, hey, we're taking this a step further. This is uh, Christianity 101. Treat others as you want to be treated. Jesus said, even to love your enemies. Jesus took it a whole nother step, right? But if we just start with applying the golden rule, if we say as a believer, as a representative of Jesus Christ, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to uh, treat others the way that I expect to be treated. Imagine that world. You see, there's a lot of things that may cost you, but it should never cost your integrity. It'll never cost your integrity. You see, if you treat someone the way that you want to be treated, it's not going to cost you your integrity. What's it going to do? It's going to create trust. And what does trust do? It creates opportunity for the gospel. so the only way that you will ever maintain your integrity is when you make the same decision that Daniel made regardless of how the story ends for you. You see, did Daniel make the right decision if Daniel died in the lion's den? I would say yes. Okay, right? And so I don't know the end of your story. I don't know how your circumstances are going to end. I don't know how the end of my circumstances are going to end. Right? I don't know what the consequences of those will be. But what I have control over is my integrity and how I will act and what I'll stand for and the things that I'll believe and the things that I'll promote for the good of the kingdom. Right? We got too many people out parading for too many different things that in the end, they're not going to matter much. Right? But what if, what if we started today, we said, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to treat my spouse the way I want to be treated. I'm going to go home and I'm going to treat my kids the way that I want to be treated. Tomorrow when I go to work, I'm going to treat my, my boss who is mean to me or my co-worker who's not a believer. I'm going to treat them the way that I want to be treated. And in doing so, guess what's going to happen? It's going to create opportunities. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in Romans that it is the kindness of Jesus that draws us near, right? That's what drew you in, is the kindness of Jesus, okay? And so for you and for me, if we step out into the world with integrity, we make our decisions based on what honors God, God's going to align us with His will to accomplish the things that He wants us to accomplish. And as we said earlier, we will become who we ought to be. It starts with integrity. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for us uh, as a church, uh, my prayer for us as, you know, a global church as far as Christians is that we would start to take a stand, not for things Listen, not for things that may matter nothing at the end, but we would take for, uh, stand for things that have eternal significance. We would take a stand for things that do matter in the end. Okay? And I'm not going to define those things for you. All I know is that the gospel trumps everything. And so my desire for myself is that I would walk the line of integrity, that I would do what I say I'm going to do, that I would love others the way I expect to be loved and that way I desire to be loved. And in doing so, it's going to create opportunities for me to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the mouthpiece of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of Daniel and that Daniel stayed singularly focused on you.